Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Tim, and we are so excited that you're here this morning. I have a question for you. Have you ever heard a story that when you heard it, you thought, hmm, is that real or is that a joke? Over the last few years, I've heard some of those stories, and I've wondered the same exact thing. In fact, in 1991, there was a man who sued Budweiser because Budweiser failed to help him attract beautiful women. You see, he saw the commercials, and he thought, you know what, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy the beer, I'm going to start drinking it, and lo and behold, the ladies did not come running to him. So he sued Budweiser for $10,000, claiming he had suffered emotional distress, mental, in, mental injury, and financial loss. Also, I heard about a guy who sued Michael Jordan for facial resemblance. Now, I don't know about you. I thought everybody wanted to be like Mike. I'm a short white guy, and I want to be like Mike. That's right. And so this man in 2006 sued Michael Jordan because he looked so much like Mike that for the past 15 years, people continue to confuse him for Michael Jordan. So he sued Michael Jordan and Nike for a combined amount of $832 million. What? Half of that aimed at Michael Jordan for having similar facial features, and the other half at Nike and Phil Johnson for, or Phil Knight for making Michael Jordan a recognizable person. And so, after being mistaken for the NBA superstar, he had grown tired of it, and he said that Jordan caused him emotional pain and suffering and personal injury. Or how about the high schooler who sued his high school because he was woken up for sleeping? If I had known that was possible, I would have sued, and I'd be a rich guy. But here is a 16-year-old high schooler in Danbury High School in Connecticut fast asleep in math, that is calculus for you, and his teacher decides to wake him up by slamming her hand down on the desk, and his parents sued and said that his, their son suffered severe injuries to, their left, to his left eardrum. How about the lady at McDonald's, right? Remember Stella Liebeck? She sued McDonald's because she spilled hot coffee on herself, and she was awarded $2.9 million. Now, there's a lot to that story that I don't think we really understand or that we're really informed about. You see, McDonald's had been serving their coffee in between 180 and 190 degrees because they believed that that temperature brought out the best flavors in their coffee, while other restaurants were serving coffee at 140 degrees. And so when, we, when she spilled that coffee on herself, she received third-degree burns to her thighs and crotch area, and she simply asked McDonald's to pay for the skin grafts. Up until that point, McDonald's had received up to 700 complaints about the temperature of their coffee. And so when she sued McDonald's, she was awarded $2.9 million dollars and they certainly changed the temperature of that coffee. Now, I'm not saying that all lawsuits are frivolous or ridiculous. Those are probably the minority, and those are just the ones that we hear about, right? And there's something happening in Corinth that is incredibly relevant to us. 
Because in the church of Corinth, people, Christians, were taking their problems, their issues, their disputes, and they were taking those people to court. And there weren't these private courthouses with Judge Judy like we have. That was all taken care of in the public square. So criminal cases and civil cases were all done in the public square. And so as you're walking to work or you're out for lunch or you're doing business on your way to somebody's house, there they are taking care of a lawsuit for you to watch, for you to listen in on. And so it was very public. And so in Corinth, this is what they were doing. They were suing each other. People from the same church who were having issues were dealing with it in the public square. So today, my question for you, have you ever been wronged? Have you ever been cheated? Have you ever had a problem or a dispute that needed to be resolved? And if so, what did you do about it? Well, today, that's exactly what we're going to talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to talk about how do you deal with disputes? How do you deal with problems? What do you do when you've been wronged or cheated? If you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to put the text on here behind me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll start in verse 1. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this is in front of unbelievers. So before we get into this text and talk about what it's talking about, let's go over a few things as to what Paul is not talking about. Two things Paul is not talking about. First, Paul is not talking about taking non-Christians to court. He is simply talking about people within the same church, within the same community of faith, and suing and taking those people to court. Second thing he's not talking about is criminal cases. Paul is talking about civil cases. He's not talking about criminal cases like theft, drunk driving, murder, or rape. He's talking about issues of property. He's talking about issues of money. He's talking about a deal you do or paying someone to do a job and it doesn't go the way that was planned. And so how do you deal with that problem? And this word dispute has the idea of a civil matter. It's talking about property issues. It's talking about disagreements between two people. And he says, how dare you how, how do you have the boldness? How do you have the courage? I can't believe you're so courageous, you're so brave to take this issue that really could be solved within the church, within two believers. How could you be so brave to take it 
to those in the world, those who have no idea what following Jesus is all about. So he's not talking about the guy next door. He's talking about how dare you take another follower of Christ to court. And so then he goes on, verse 2, he says, Do you not know that the Lord, that these are the Lord's people, and the Lord's people will judge the world, and they will rule over angels. They're going to judge angels. So here's what he's talking about. That in the future, when Christ comes back, Jesus is going to reign on earth, and followers of Christ are going to co-reign and co-rule, and there is going to be judgments with unbelievers, and you and I are going to be a part of that. He says, if you are going to be entrusted with something that big, why can't you take care of these small, trivial cases now? What you're dealing with now is preparation for the future. And he says, did you know you're going to judge angels? Like, what? what? What does that mean? Well, there's two types of angels. I'm not talking about the two angels on your shoulders, right? But the beginning, Satan, Lucifer, he rebelled against God, and he took a third of the angels with him. They all rebelled against God. So a third of those angels were cast out of heaven. Those are the evil angels. Those are now referred to as demons. And there is going to be a place, there's going to be a time where followers of Christ are going to play a role in judging those. So 2 Peter 2.4 says this, God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them to hell, delivered them to chains to be reserved unto judgment. So Revelation 19 and 20 says they're going to be judged, and apparently you and I are going to be a part of that. Jude in verse 6 says this, the angels who kept not their first estate, he reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto judgment. And so there is going to be a time and a place where believers are going to co-reign and co-rule the earth. And we're going to be dealing with larger issues than what's going on here. And there's going to be a time where Christians, followers of Jesus, are going to be judging evil angels, demons. And so what Paul is saying is, if you're going to be entrusted with something that big, can't you take care of what's happening right here on earth? In the grand scheme of things, the issues and the problems and the disputes that we deal with, they're pretty small. And in the grand scheme of eternity, in the bigger picture of everything that God is doing, and I know the issues that you face right now, the problems that you're dealing with, maybe even a lawsuit, they can be big. They can be daunting. They can be overwhelming. But in compared to eternity, compared to what we're going to be doing, they're pretty small. And so we're going to be a part of that. And then, verse 4, he says, Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church. So one of the reasons you and I shouldn't sue other Christians is because we're going to rule with Christ. We're going to co-rule, we're going to co-reign with Christ, and we're going to be dealing with bigger issues. But the second reason that we shouldn't is that those people out there in the world, they don't have the same values as you and I. 
if we can't handle our issues between believers, if we can't figure things out within the church, and we take them to the courts, we take them to unbelievers, they don't see the word of God the same as you and I. They don't have the same worldview. They don't see God. They don't see life. They don't see marriage. They don't see money. They don't see business in the same way that God does, the same way that you and I do. So Paul's saying, why would you take those issues? Why would you take those problems to those people if they don't have the same worldview as you? So don't take them to them because those non-Christians, they don't see life the same way. Verse 5, he says, I say this to shame you. Did your parents ever try to shame you? I know my mom would use my full name, Timothy Joseph Sullivan, right? Get in here right now. How dare you? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Paul is saying, I can't believe you guys would do this. Shame on you. You guys should know better. Your family, your followers of Christ, and this lawsuit, it started off as a problem, maybe as a misunderstanding, as a situation that could have been handled at the most basic, simplistic level. And you let it get out of hand, and it grew, and it got bigger, and it got bigger, and now you're out in the public square, and you're suing each other, taking them for every penny they have. So... He says, not only do they not have the same values, but he's being sarcastic here. He's saying, you're taking these cases, these problems to the unbelievers. So the third reason is how are you going to go and tell the world about Jesus when we can't even figure out our own issues? It's not that we as, as followers of Christ have to have everything perfect or everything figured out. But imagine you're going to your neighbor, you're going into the school, you're going into your jobs, and you're saying, hey, I want to tell you about how amazing God is. I want to tell you about something that Jesus did for you. I want to tell you about how much God loves you. Oh, yeah, but I'm suing this guy in my church because we just can't figure out life together. How does that work? I mean, the world looks at that and says, why would I want anything to do with your church? Why would I want anything to do with God? You can't even figure out these small, trivial problems. So here's a question I have for you. What is my reputation? This is a question we ought to consider. It's not that it means everything, right? And there's some parts of our reputation that we really can't control at all. But what is your reputation? As you do life in the business world, as you go to school, as you work, as you spend time in our community, what do people think and say about us? Is it, whoa, they're a Christian, but man, do not do business with them. They are a shark. Or is your reputation, you know what? That person is the most loving, generous, gracious person ever. Or is, oh man, they go to church on Sunday, but whoa, you should see them on Friday. It is crazy. Or is it, you know what? That person did a job for me, and it was impeccable. They went above and beyond. 
They are the hardest working people that I know, and they took care of every single detail, and they charged me a fair price. What's your reputation? Is it when they see you in the grocery store, they're like excited to see you and like, oh, I'm so glad I ran into you today. Or is it, oh my word, there they are. I'm going down a different aisle. (laughs) What is your reputation? We ought to consider that. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. The word defeated means to be overcome. It's a sense of suffering a great loss. What Paul is saying is the fact that you are in court or you are having a lawsuit right now, whether you win or lose, you've already lost. The fact that you are taking someone else to court means something has gone terribly wrong and you've lost. And so he has these two questions for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? I mean, when you're dealing with a problem, when you're dealing with a a situation, shouldn't we rather be wronged for the sake of the gospel? Wouldn't it be better to be cheated for the sake of the gospel? Or do you always have to have the last word? Do you always have to one-up someone? Do you always have to win the argument Or would it be better for you to be wronged for the sake of the gospel? Or would it be better for you to be cheated? I'm not even talking about lawsuits. I'm not talking about anything major. But just think about, in every area of your life, are we willing to be wronged or cheated for the sake of the gospel? I'm not saying that you ought to let people take advantage of you, but sometimes we are so driven, so motivated by winning at all costs that there is no way, and then we just blow up our reputation. We just blow up our opportunity to love on people. So verse 8, he's talking about being wronged. Can you accept the wrongs? Remember, God is still on the throne. No matter what happens in your life, God is still in charge, and he will take care of those things. So many times when we're wronged or we're cheated, we're so focused on getting them back and making things right and straightening things out and getting revenge. And the reality is, God is in control. God is in charge of all of those little tiny details. If you've been wronged, if you've been cheated, if you've been sinned against, if you've been hurt, God will take care of that. Won't he? I think he will. So the second question I have for you this morning is, am I more focused on my rights or on God's reputation? And as American Christians, we get so hyped up on our rights. Let me tell you this. If you're a follower of Christ, you are first and foremost a citizen of heaven, not an American. You get that? And I love America, and I'm not trying to start a political conversation, but as a follower of Christ, we don't have any rights. 
Show me that from the Bible. Now, I'm not talking about your American rights. I'm not trying to take away those rights. I'm not trying to step on that bomb right now. But let me be really clear. As a follower of Christ, are we focused on God and what he's doing, or are we so amped up on all of our rights and all of our freedoms? I think so many times we're wronged and we're hurt, and we just, we've got to get this straightened out because that's my right. Yeah, but Tim, you don't know how bad this is. Yeah, but Tim, you don't know what they did to me. Yeah, but Tim, you don't know how much money I lost. Yeah, but Tim, you don't know what they did to me in my past. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Am I more focused on my rights or on God's reputation? That's a question you ought to wrestle with. You ought to consider that. Verse 9, he says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So the warning is real. If you have placed your faith in Christ, there ought to be fruit in your life. And what Paul is saying is, if you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you are habitually living in sin with no regard to Christ, then maybe you're not really a Christian. And what Paul didn't say is that to be a Christ follower, you have to be perfect and you always have to get it right. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if you continue to live however you want in all of the sin and all of the wickedness, then don't expect a future in the kingdom because maybe you're not really a follower of Christ. What he's saying is your life as a follower of Christ ought to be different. And then he gives something that's really, really encouraging. He says, you were some of these things. Past tense, you were some of these things. And now you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. There has been a transformation in your life. You were, and now you are. And because of this radical transformation that's taken place, can't we figure out how to solve problems? These are your brothers and your sisters in Christ. So now you've come to Christ, and so these things ought to be true of you. You have a new identity. So, third question for you to consider, is this dispute worth someone's eternity? We have an amazing opportunity to go into the world and be a light and yet we're so worked up over these problems that we have to drag people into court. We have to sue them for all that they're worth because we can't figure out problems. And so as a follower of Christ, we need to learn how to resolve these issues. And here's why I think Paul ends this way and what it means for us today. 1 Peter 2, verse 12 says this. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may what? See your good deeds 
and glorify God. That you and I ought to live in such a way that the people of this world see you and go, wow, yeah, they were wronged. Yeah, they were taken advantage of. Yeah, they were, they were cheated. Yeah, they were done wrong. But the way that they live, man, that's incredible. God must be a part of that. And then he says, submit yourselves to the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Why? For it is God's will. This is the will of God, God's will, that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. That God has called followers of Christ to live in such a way that is culturally different that the people of this world would go, whoa, that's different. That's really against their grain. I can't believe they responded that way. I can't believe they didn't do this. Man, if that was me, I would have done A, B, and C, but something different about that person. Do we live in such a way that the world looks at us and goes, huh, that's interesting. Are they surprised when they find out that you're a follower of Jesus? Are they surprised when you come over their house and you invite them to our Easter service? Or they're like, are you serious? You go to church? Hmm, okay. So how does this apply? Number one, I don't think we should be suing other Christians. Number two, and if you come into that problem or that, that arises, here's what I think we ought to do. We ought to remind ourselves, look, one day we're going to co-reign and co-rule with Jesus. And we're going to judge angels. And God is preparing us for something bigger. This issue is so small. We ought to remind ourselves the world doesn't have the same values as us. They don't see the Bible. They don't see God. They don't see the world. They don't see marriage and money the same way that a follower of Jesus does. We ought to remind ourselves we have an opportunity to share the gospel. How can I take my issues to the world and then expect them to listen to me about how amazing and loving God is? So what do we do? Well, first of all, I think we ought to take up all internal options first. Like last week, we talked about Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, if I have a problem... I should go to that person one-on-one. -on -one. I don't need to share it with my small group. I don't need to share it with my men's group. I don't need to talk to all of you. I don't need to put it on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. I just need to go and have a conversation with them one-on-one. -on -one. Take it internal. Keep the circle as small as possible. And then Jesus says, hey, if they refuse to listen, bring somebody with you. Figure out, is there a way that I can solve this problem Say, hey, would you come with me? Would you hear what's going on? Just see if we can work things out. And then secondly, prioritize Christ's reputation over my own rights. As I work on these issues, I need to remind myself, okay, my rights aren't really that important. Let me give you a scenario. 
Let's imagine you take some of your tax money or your Biden bucks and you decide, I'm going to redo my basement, right? We're going to put up some new drywall. We're going to finish it. We're going to fix it up really nice. There's a guy in the church. He does that. He comes over. He looks at everything. He measures everything. And he says, okay, start to finish. The whole thing is going to be $3,000. You say, great. You write him a check or you Venmo him some money. You pay him in cash. And he comes over couple hours a day, starts getting to work, and by the end of the week, he takes all of his tools, takes all of his stuff, and he leaves, and you go down to the basement, and you're like, huh, he did some work, but it doesn't look done. You give him a call, you're like, hey, bro, um, are you done? Yeah, I'm done. Hmm, it doesn't look done. Can you just come over real quick and take a look at this? And he looks at it, and he says, well, yeah, that's, that's what you paid for. I'm done. Now, if you want me to come over and, like, perfect it, you can pay me some more money, and I'll, I'll do that for you. Whoa, hold on now. I mean, what do you do? You go to him. You, you talk to him one-on-one, -on -one, and maybe you bring Shrek with you because he's a big guy, and you're like, hey, Shrek, can you just come talk to my friend here about this uh, construction stuff he did? And you talk to him, and he's like, yeah, th that's not going to fly. I mean, and he still sticks to his story. Hey, if you want to pay me more money... That's fine. So what do you do? I'm trying to solve this problem internally. I'm trying to talk to him one-on-one. -on -one. I'm trying to remind myself why I shouldn't sue this guy. He's, he comes to our church. He's a follower of Jesus. And you might need to hire somebody else and pay an extra $700 to finish the job and take a financial bath. We ought to consider being wronged and cheated for the sake of the gospel. In the grand scheme of things, whose money is it anyways? I'm convinced all the money, all the things that I have simply belong to God, and I am a steward of those things. So if you really want to rip off God, go ahead. That's his stuff. That's his basement. That's his money. So what do we do? I'm convinced that if we take another Christian to court, something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. Let that sink in. If you or I take another follower of Christ to court, something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. Now, in this text, there is no command that thou shall not sue anybody or that thou shall not bring another Christian into court. Paul is simply asking questions and making observations. And I think that it is really bad to take another follower of Christ to court. However, there could be some exceptions. After you've exhausted all of these options, there could be an exception. But let me, before I go into that exception, let me echo this one more time. If you take another follower of Christ to court, something has gone terribly wrong. And it might be something where there's a, there's a child custody issue and there's a betterment of the child that you might need to involve some legal counsel to figure that out. There might be an issue where the betterment of somebody else, another human being, you might need to involve legal counsel in that. There might be a situation, let's say um, someone owes you like $50,000 and if you don't get that money, you can't pay your bills and you're going to have to go into bankruptcy and then, then, then your reputation is on the line because all those people 
that you owe money go, you're a Christian, you can't pay your bills? So there are exceptions. But after we've exhausted every single other option, then, then maybe, maybe that's something you have to consider. But here's what Hebrews 13, 17 says. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as who must give an account. Do this, that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So Paul is saying the church is set up that the pastors, the leaders, the elders, the overseers, they one day will give an account for their church. And one day I, Jeff and I, will stand before God and we will give an account for what took place at this church. So what do you do if you run into that situation where like, I don't really know what to do, but I'm considering a lawsuit. Let me show you a picture. Here's a man. Here's God and here's you and here's the church right? And so what happens is you have one of those situations, you have one of those problems, you're like, I have no idea what to do. Jeff and I, the overseers, will give an account for what advice and what counsel we give to you. And so if we give you poor counsel and poor advice, that's on us. I will one day give an account for that. And if we don't know the answers or if we need more resources, we will find other pastors and other overseers. And we'll bring them in to give you the best and wisest counsel possible. And if we're wrong, there's that protection there. But what happens if you don't do that? You say, oh, I'm just going to go rogue, take him to court, Judge Judy, she'll figure it out, all done. The consequences come on you. And so I'm simply saying, if you take a Christian to court, something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. And so here's the big idea. The world judges us by our behaviors, not our beliefs. So we have an opportunity to live in such a way that we make much of God. So may we live in such a way that people at work, people at school, people in our neighborhoods, they're attracted to Jesus. May we live in such a way that our friends and our neighbors go, wow, I can't believe that's how you live. I, I want to know more about Jesus. I want to know more about this, this church that you go to. We ought to live in such a way that we represent Christ well. Let me pray. God in heaven, we are truly amazed by your grace. We recognize that there's so many issues in this world, there's so many problems in our lives that we can't figure out everything right now today. We know there's so many unknown variables that come about, and our desire is that you would simply give us wisdom as we sort through those issues. Father, I think of the people who call Bridgewater home that are right now in the midst of some challenges, some trials, some difficulties, some questionable activity, and we need your wisdom. Help us. Whatever we can do to solve these issues internally, talking to people, let us live in such a way 
that when the world sees us, when they listen to us, when they hear us, they would be attracted to you. Sometimes there may be some scenarios where we actually need to be wronged or cheated for your sake, for the gospel. But our desire is that we would live in such a way that we would make much of you. Pray all this in Christ's name, amen.